We've been going through a series called No Restrictions. This morning we're going to talk about difficulty in ministry and that difficulty in, in life as a follower of Jesus and ministering to others is, is not a restriction. That shouldn't hold us back at all and it doesn't hold back Paul in this, uh, in this passage we're going to be walking through. Uh, please open your Bibles or your app to Acts 13. Verses 13 through 52, if you're using a pew Bible there in front of you, it's page 921 and 922. And I, the verses I'm going to be talking through in this passage will not be up on the screen, so I'd encourage you to open your Bibles because we're going to be walking through that. For those of you who are detail people, I'm going to be talking about the bigger themes of this passage and our response to that. So I would encourage you, go back, walk through this passage, there's some Great things to, to glean from this, but uh, please have your Bibles open, and the, the other passages we'll be talking about will be up on the screens, but certainly not the Acts 13. Well, you're gonna, we're going to see Paul in this predicament, but one of the things I want to talk about, what was his motivation? What is our motivation? What's my motivation just for, for life itself? Think back, I was working as an uh, aircraft mechanic at Hawthorne Airport, and I was working on a small plane that wouldn't start, and my boss and I were jumping on some things, and my boss reached over and he disconnected the magneto, which essentially turns the key on. And I wasn't aware of that, I was trying to get it fixed, and uh, you're told in aircraft maintenance school, and as a pilot, always stay away from the propeller, an interaction between a human and propeller, the propeller always wins. Well, I was so focused on what I was doing trying to get this airplane to start, I started going around the other side of the engine, and the propeller was a little bit in my way, so I moved it. That was kind of a bad thing, because when I moved it, it fired the impulse coupling, which sent a spark to the cylinder, and this plane that wouldn't start fired up, this propeller came around, and I stopped the engine by stopping the spinning propeller with my forehead. I used to be quite intelligent. I've lost a few uh, points here, but if you look, you can see a dent in my skull right now. I survived, got lots of stitches, but it really reminded me, man, I need to live life. I can't just sit back and wait, and gave me a renewed appreciation of my life. I think Paul had a, a similar uh, event in his life, not with a propeller, but in Acts 9, four chapters before this, where he's walking down the road to Damascus and God speaks to him and says, why are you persecuting me? Paul gets blinded, but he comes out of that with a, a zest for life, a zest for living each day and falling in love with this Jesus who has empowered him for ministry. So his motivation behind this passage is just this God who has reached down to him, pursued him, and loved him. And later on in his life, he writes this verse in Acts 20, 24. Paul really sums up his motivation. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He said, that's my focus, that's my motivation, that's why I'm alive. And as we heard from Casey, and as we'll hear from Paul, this isn't easy, there will be difficulty. 
I think a lot of us know that. that this, this passage is a really good reminder that difficulty is not a restriction. And in the passage, it talks about Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga, came to Antioch and Pisidia. Now, there's a little verse in here that says, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Here is this first missionary journey just getting started. John leaves Later on, we found out, find out that Paul actually refers to him as abandoning them. Starting off with some tough stuff, but they go on on this journey. Here we can see a map and kind of follow along. The reason the map's important is because a couple verses ago, at the beginning of Acts 13, Paul starts out in Antioch. And here, at the end of verse 14, we have him arriving in Antioch. Well, there's one Antioch in Syria. Here we're Antioch and Pisidia, which is also in the region of Galatia. So Paul steps into this new place, and check it out in verse 14. He says, on the Sabbath day, went into the synagogue and sat down. After they read from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. What an opportunity. Paul went there because of this great motivation. He says, man, I need to look for these opportunities to talk about this great, big, awesome God. He knew the language. He was learning the culture and understanding the differences between the different places. And he got an invitation. Now, I don't like to drop names. Okay, I like to drop names. But 25 years ago, I met the great Louis Zamperini. If you've seen the, the movie Unbroken or read the book, here's this guy, World War II, was uh, beaten, survived, gave his life to Jesus. Well, I met Louie, and he sat down, and he said, Kevin, wow, you flew an airplane in New Guinea? And he was talking to me about my past ministry, and he says, wow, that's fascinating. I'm going to get you, Kevin, I'm going to get you a chance to speak to the Torrance Flying Club. These people own their airplanes. They'd be fascinated about your flying experience. So he set it all up, and when he called me, he says, all right, this night, you go there. He said, I'll be there cheering you on. He said, Kevin, tell them about Jesus. Take this opportunity to share. What a reminder to have that, that mindset, to look for these opportunities. So Paul is looking for these opportunities. And what is one of the first things Paul does? It's on your first little section there to fill out. He starts on common ground. So he's talking to Jews. He says, men of Israel. And he's also talking to God-fearing Gentiles. Listen, now I'm just going to highlight a few of these next verses from 17 to 22. He's talking about the God of the people Israel and into verse 17, that he led them out of Egypt and he put up with them in the wilderness and he gave them the land of their inheritance he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. It's talking about this great God in verse 22. He, he, God, removed Saul. He raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do my will. So what's Paul doing here? He's starting off in this common ground of a great big awesome God that Jews and God-fearing Gentiles would be sitting there nodding and probably be reminded of, hey, I thought, wasn't it us, us Jews that were great? Oh, yeah, 
It, it was God who was great. It was God who was pursuing. It was God who was making these promises and fulfilling them. Promises, fulfillment, God is faithful, and he's pointing out God's faithfulness, faithfulness in the same way that we just sang, right? Your promise still stands. Great is thy faithfulness. Uh, powerful stuff that we sing about his faithfulness today. It's about what God has done. So you say, Kevin, okay, so Paul had this opportunity to speak. He's able to step up. You say he, he, he understands the common ground when he steps up in the synagogue. What about me? What is my common ground with the people around me? I have atheists. I have people who are uh, political. I have these different mindsets. How do, I, how do I even have a spiritual conversation? Well, I've talked with a large number of people who don't follow Jesus, not Christ followers at all. And I have three questions that I just have in my back pocket. And I've never once had anybody upset with me for asking one of these questions. One of them I ask is, did you grow up attending a church? Just find out their background. Nobody gets upset about that. Have a nice conversation. And you know what? I learned a little bit about the common ground we have. Another question is, how did your family celebrate religious holidays growing up? Christmas and Easter. Did you go to church? Was it religious at all? Find out more. Finally, probably the question I ask the most, and this is maybe a little further down the road, but looking for the common ground, I often say, the world seems like it's going downhill. What do you think is the problem with the world today? Nobody ever gets upset with that question. And by listening to them, I'm able to find some common ground, and then I move forward just like Paul did. So Paul starts on common ground, and then he moves on to clarify Christianity. And this isn't always easy. But Paul presses on in verse 23. He says, of this man, he's talking of David, uh, he says, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Remember, he moved from common ground, this great big awesome God, the promises and fulfillment, and now in Jesus, he has fulfilled his promise. In verse 26, again, talking to Jews, brothers, sons of family of Abraham, and also Gentiles, those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. And he jumps right into the story of Jesus, verse 28. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, laid him in a tomb, and then he puts out there, verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to his people, as we are his witnesses today. And we bring you the good news of what God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled us, their children, by raising Jesus. He is clarifying what is Christianity, and then he hits another aspect of, because he knows the common ground of the Jewish belief, he says, uh, verse 37 excuse me, 38, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. 
And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. As they grew up in the the Jewish religion, they would have sacrifices, animal sacrifices that would cover over their sins, waiting for this salvation. And here is this proclamation. You can be completely freed of your sins. Here is salvation in Jesus. So as he clarifies Christianity, he knows the common ground. He gets right to Jesus. I talk to people all the time. They say, well, I'm talking to my neighbor, my coworker about my church and all this, and they have all these questions. And so often people don't get right to Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who was Jesus is a great question to ask other people as well. He emphasized the need of Christ's resurrection, and he promised salvation, and it's more than simply knowledge. It's a belief, and it's following this great, big, awesome God and getting reestablished in that relationship with him. Now, we have a challenge before us. Paul was able, when he was asked, he would say, hey, share a few things, words of encouragement. Tell us about this Christianity. Are you ready? Would you be able to articulate Christianity in two minutes or five minutes? You know what? This is not easy. It takes work. We offer a share class every couple months. The next one starts September 8th at 11 o'clock. You can get to it on your church app. Just go to the button Next Steps, and that's it. The next button, the number of buttons you'll see, you go to Share Class. Why do we offer the Share Class? Because this is not easy. It takes effort on our part. But we need to be able to walk through what is Christianity? One thing we do in this share class, we talk about this great big awesome God pursuing man and creating man to have a relationship with him. In clarifying Christianity, a lot of people miss that aspect. This is about a relationship with God. They see all the rules and regulations. Well, every relationship has guidelines to make that relationship healthy we end up emphasizing those guidelines sometimes rather than that relationship but this great big awesome God created man to have relationship with him and then we go right to Romans 6 23 it says for the for the wages of sin is death because of man's rebellion against this great big awesome God we deserve spiritual death separation from God. Christianity has a negative uh, piece to it. We, this great God started off everything good. We have rebelled. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is some great news. This Christianity that we're clarifying is not similar to other religions. Ravi Zacharias says Christianity is superficially similar to other religions, but fundamentally different. It's about a God, a God pursuing, a God reaching down, a God who is fulfilling his promises, a God who is faithful, not because of what we're doing. I would encourage you, if you've taken the class before and you haven't taken it for a year, take it again. This takes effort to learn about our culture and what are the questions people are asking and how can I be prepared to talk comfortably about uh, this great, big, awesome God and clarify this Christianity. Next, Paul in here is able to celebrate some success, and others around him celebrate success. In verse 42, it says, After they went out, Paul and his companions, Barnabas and others, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. 
When I got to speak to the Torrance Flying Club, not one person begged me to come back and talk to them. Paul gets this great opportunity. Man, please tell us some more. Okay, I'm a little jealous there, but I'm not the only one. It says, after the meeting, many, devout Jew, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul. Uh, oh, it's later on when they start. Uh, verse 45, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul has said. But Paul and Barnabas speak out boldly, saying, it's necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, you Jews, and then he mentions the Gentiles later on. And in verse 48... It says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were pointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Paul has this opportunity to speak. He takes it. He studied. He prepares. He shares. And their success, people give their lives to Jesus. The Gentiles hear that they are sharing this light to the Gentiles. People invited them back. The word of the Lord is spreading. This is exciting. And Paul says, man, my motivation, my life is to share this gospel. And this is happening. Isn't it cool? I think back. When I hear prayer requests, when I think of my own prayer requests, what is my motivation? What's the number one thing? Is it often my own life? My own comfort? Do I pursue the success in sharing the gospel like Paul does? And then I read this Francis Chan quote, and it just pierced me. And he says, Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Ouch. Where's our emphasis in life? Where are our prayers? Are we trying to be successful at, at, at work or saving money or retiring early? None of those are bad. But what is our big priority? And are we being successful at life and things that don't really matter. May we pray for our neighbors. Think of one or two neighbors that you can pray for that you say, man, I want to get good at clarifying this gospel so that I might share these people. I want to be successful at what really matters in reconciling people back to this great and awesome God. And finally, as we've already seen, there's been some issues. Uh, prepare for difficulty. Verses uh, 50 through 52, we've already talked about the Jews being jealous, and now the Jews incite the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred them up for persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit." You know, one of the big things here is remembering that being diff uh, going through difficulty, facing danger, is not a restriction. This is reality. We are to expect this to happen. And that goes against our grain, right? When something's tough, we want to give up or say, well, maybe that's not for me. Um, we need to press forward. I, I was able to go down to visit uh, for one day. We had eight people from Olive Branch go out and minister at the Royal Family Kids Camp in June. And I went down for one day, and I talked to these eight people. Some of them have been there many times, spending a week with these kids who come out of the foster system or are in the foster system. Many of those kids have bounced around. They don't trust other people. 
They don't trust adults. And it's not an easy ministry. And I talked to some of them. I said, man, we're not sleeping well. I don't know if we're really connecting with these kids. But these kids need to hear about Jesus. So I said, we're pressing through the difficulty. One of them said, I'm not enjoying it, and I'm coming back next year because these kids need to hear about Jesus. Difficulty is not a restriction. I sat up here in a meeting a month ago with our guys who go out to the jail on Friday nights. I'm all excited to hear these fun stories. They didn't have too many fun stories. I said, why are you going? This is tough stuff. They said, because the guys in jail understand their sin. They understand they've messed up. They need a change, and they're looking for something to help them to change. When they go on this jail ministry, the guys change just about every week, the, the, those who are incarcerated. And our men go out there two or three every Friday night. And you know what? They get there on a Friday night. They clear their busy schedule. They go out there, and they don't even know if they're going to get in. It takes 30 to 45 minutes, and they're at the whim of the guards on whether the guards decide to let them in that night or not. And then if they do get in, they're not sure they're going to get out. They were talking that they sort of laughed about this. I didn't find it all that funny, but they're, they're sitting there talking, and there's a group of men who are incarcerated, and behind these men, there's a little button that says, help uh, somebody come and get me if there's a problem. On the other side of the men. Uh, didn't sound too helpful. But they're pressing forward in ministry through the difficulty. They were there. One of them was there one time when there was a whole jail lockdown. You know what happens in a lockdown? You don't get out. So let let me understand this ministry. You don't know if you're going to get in. You don't know if you're going to get out. And they said, people need to hear about a great big God. Maybe these guys don't know about a father who loves them. Maybe they don't understand that throughout history, God has been pursuing, and he sent his son not to condemn them, but to save them and wash them clean of what they've done. Difficulty is not a restriction. As we served over in Papua, Indonesia, on the island of New Guinea, I talked with Phyllis Masters, who, as she had three little kids, her husband went off with another man, Standale, to reach the Yali people. And as they went out to the Yali people, a number of the Yali warriors surrounded them, filled their bodies with arrows, killed them, cooked them, and ate them. And you know what Phyllis Masters did with her four little kids? She stayed there serving in Papua, Indonesia for 20 more years. One of her daughters grew up, married a missionary pilot, and ended up going back to Papua. And while I was there, they celebrated the Yali New Testament. Years after her husband was eaten and uh, killed and eaten, the gospel got into the Yali people. They accepted Christ. The, The whole culture has changed. Now the Yali men are translating the rest of the Bible in the Yali language because Phyllis Masters persevered. She didn't run from the guilt difficulty, and they were able to live out the gospel nearby and see people go in and share the gospel and see things change. If you want to read more about that, it's in the book Lords of the Earth by Don Richardson. Fascinating story. Really encouraging. Reminds me of Paul the Apostle. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, 24, Paul talks about difficulty and the suffering he's gone through. And he mentions going through 
40 lashes. Five times he took 40 lashes. Talk about difficulty. Paul didn't stop ministry. He pressed on three times. He says, I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've lived in danger and difficulty. And from that, I'm uncertain about what's next. I fear difficulty. My body's broken in different places. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says this. But God says to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And what does Paul say here? I am unable to say this. Paul says it. I'm working on this. But Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, a lot of us, we go out and say, I want to talk about Christ, but I might fail. I might say something silly. Paul says, it's not about your weakness. It's about a great, big, awesome God. It's about his power. But meanwhile, all this time, every day, our culture is bombarded with the idea is your life is about you. We need to pursue comfort and security. Now, you're telling me this is going to be dangerous. We have to, to go out and talk about Jesus or go to the ends of the earth. Kevin, I, I need to be really careful No, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, once you have given your life completely to God through Jesus Christ, we have died to ourselves. We live for him. There is no, oh, I could never do that. That's too difficult. There is a, how can I honor God with my life? Why would we say that? Because we live in a spiritual battle, and all our talk about life and comfort, and it's all about you, completely ignores the reality of us living in a spiritual battle, and there is going to be opposition. But Paul talks to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, and he doesn't talk about this danger. He talks about him pressing forward and saying, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. It's God who gives that. It's not in us. We're aware of our own insecurities, our own stumbling, our own failings. We press forward with a spirit of power and love. What's the best way for us to love our neighbors and those around them? Now, sometimes it's pulling weeds. Sometimes it's taking a meal. Sometimes it's caring for the family when there's sickness. But the best way we can love them is reconcile them back to a great big awesome God. We sang a song earlier about formerly being orphans and now being connected with this great big awesome God, our heavenly Father. Well, there's one thing, Kevin, you said in here that they shook the dust off their feet. What are we supposed to do about that? When do we stop ministering to somebody? Well, here it was a Jewish custom. Even though some people had accepted the Lord and following Christ in the city, they were letting the city leaders know that there, is, there are consequences of your rejecting of this message. They were clarifying that. What does that mean for us? What if we, we share the gospel with somebody? Do we say, okay, I did my job. That's done. No. We ask God for wisdom and how do we love. I shared with somebody about this great big God who loves them and I was able to walk through the gospel of Jesus dying for our sins and raising again. And and he said, Kevin, that Christianity, if I'm going to follow it, that's all encompassing. You talk about this relationship with God, that's going to affect my marriage, my work, my family, everything. I said, yes. Yes. And on top of that, it's not going to be easy. 
He has not made a decision for Christ yet, but he understands what this Christianity is about. It's not something we just try. So how do I follow up with him? I love him. I ask God for wisdom. How do I follow up with him? How do I follow up with other neighbors and those around me who I desperately want to be reconnected with God? And it's different from every person. And God says the two greatest commandments are love me, God, with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. How do I love my neighbor? That's where I need to continue to work and study and learn. Now, one thing I've been talking to, to believers this morning, followers of Jesus, I don't assume everybody in here is a follower of Jesus. If you're not, I want you to hear again about this great, big, awesome God. I want you to wrestle with what it meant for Jesus to pursue you and die for you. And the Bible makes a big deal about our rebellion against God, our sin. And it takes a big step for somebody to say, no, I'm not going to live for myself I'm going to live for this great, big, awesome God. you got to make a move. I'm going to be up here at the, at the end of the service. The prayer team will be in the back. But if you haven't given your life to Christ, I'm going to tell you it's all-encompassing. It's not easy. But it's the greatest thing in the world to move from being an orphan and to be able to sit in the lap of your heavenly Father and talk to your dad in a way you never have before. And now for us Christians, what does this mean? Now, some of us have made this radical step. What about us? What's our challenge here? Well, the big challenge is be prepared. Just like in school, if you're going to have a test, you study, you get ready. This, uh, we, we sang this song, there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, to break every chain, right? Isn't that a great song? If we really believe that, we need to prepare to share that message with others. In people's rebellion, being ostracized from God, they are tied up with these chains. How do we help them? Well, we learn. Remember, I mentioned this share class. Why do we offer this class? Because it's not easy to articulate Christianity, understand where people are coming from, find that common ground. Again, if you took this class before, take it again. It just takes some learning and pressing on. It's not easy. What I find fascinating of all the classes we have here at Olive Branch, probably the one that people are least likely to sign up for is the share class. Well, they say, well, that's, that's tough for me, Kevin. I, can't, I really have a tough time doing it. That's why you should take the class. That's what education is about. And it's not just about learning. It's about our hearts. May we, we, see God, we see people as God sees others with eyes of eternity. We need to be prepared. So sign up for the class. Do it on the app. Again, starting September 8th at 11 o'clock. Where you need the most help in life is where you need to get the most learning and training in the process. And a lot of times I'll teach the share class and the people say, okay, our five weeks are done. I learned this. Kevin, what's next class? I say, the next class are these red arrows and lines going out in the world. 
Learn by experience. And anytime you talk with somebody about Jesus and you have issues, please write me, call me. I would love to interact with you, coach you, and how you live out this role as a witness for Jesus Christ. So the one thing, it's going to take effort. It's going to take work, but be prepared. Second thing, go. Live out this calling. Live out this role as a priesthood. We have been reconciled for God. He says, now you are my witnesses. You are my priests into a hurting world. Now, people say, well, Kevin, you don't know me. I still struggle with things. I, I, I still sin. I, I can't really do this. What would it mean if I go up and talk about Jesus, but I still have these problems in my life? Well, number one, it's not about you. It's about God. It's about a great, big, awesome God who can use even you to share this great news with others. The other thing I think we miss so often is when we give our lives to Christ, our sins are forgiven, right? If our sins are forgiven, how does Jesus see us? As the scripture says, holy and blameless. Now you're probably saying, well, Kevin, I don't see myself as holy and blameless. Okay, that's a cool story. But if God sees you as holy and blameless and you don't see yourself as holy and blameless, I'm going to say I'm going to go with God's opinion of you. So what does that mean for us? We, we're aware. We need to wrestle with those things. We need to work on a relationship with God. But just because we're imperfect and inconsistent doesn't mean we let go of our role as his witnesses into a hurting world. We need to press forward. How do we do that? We have a little booklet called Being Neighborly out at the Connection Central you can get. And if you're like me, you forget the names of your neighbors and their kids, write them down and pray for them. When I talk with my neighbors, I find out what's going on in their life, and I'll pray for them, and I'll come back to them later and say, how are things going in this area? And they're so appreciative. They might not think there's much to this prayer thing. They, they know that I care by following up. Some of you say, well, I just need experience. How do you start a spiritual conversation? Every third Saturday, we have a team called Reach that goes out into the marketplace, into uh, Dos Lagos and other shops, sometimes into neighborhoods, and they just talk to people about Jesus. If you want some good hands-on experience, write me, I'll get you connected with Gil, and you'll learn how to start a comfortable conversation about Jesus. Every few months, we have a James project. I think most of you are aware. We go out into Corona, and we talk with the city, and we connect with people who are being cited by the city, and we come in, and we renew their, their yard and their landscape, and one day, we get 50 or 60 olive ranchers to come out and minister, and when we do that, we write to that person's neighbors, 20 of them, and we let them know, hey, we're coming on this one day. We're going to mess up your parking, but we want to help your neighborhood, and we also tell them we're going to bring a gift bag by. And on that day, while we're working on the, the yard, we send a team out. And you know what they do? They walk up to the door. They knock. They hand them, here's your gift bag. And they ask them this question. They say, how can we pray for you? Pretty simple. Now, once in a while, they do get some people that don't like that question. But others just pour out. They share their heart. They share their struggles. And it gives them opportunity to, to talk about Jesus or invite them here to come and hear about Jesus. Now you say, Kevin, you don't understand. I could not go and even hand a gift bag to somebody. You don't understand me. I'm good at picking up leaves. I'll go to James Project. I'll do these other things. But 
Don't ask me to talk in this clarifying Christianity. I don't know that I can ever do that. Well, I think you can, but let's start with this common ground thing. There's this guy named Greg Laurie who does a wonderful job at articulating the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's speaking for free August 23rd, 24th, and 25th at this Harvest Crusade at Angel Stadium. How tough is it to talk to one of your neighbors and say, hey, you know I go to church and it's really important to me. And tell your neighbor, say, I'm not so good at sharing what this is. So would you go with me to the Harvest Crusade and listen to Greg Laurie tell about what Christianity really is? Very simple, wonderful opportunities for us to be following these red lines and going out and helping a hurting world. Greg, in preaching here through the last year, has emphasized our, our role here. What do we do at Olive Branch? We do, do th two things. We do discipleship and outreach. Okay, I'm the outreach pastor. Let's try this again. We do discipleship and outreach. Oh, thank you. I feel so much better about myself. Although I already did drop Louise Amparini's name, so I feel better about myself there too. So what does that mean for us? We learn and grow in our relationship with God. We take classes on share, part of our discipleship. We have an apologetics class at 9.30 every morning so that we can go out and reach a hurting world. I don't know if you all remember what your life was like before Christ, but we need to be reconciled to this great God, and we need to encourage others to be reconciled. And you know what? We need to expect difficulties. It's not going to be easy virtually. Every time I talk to somebody, I come away kicking myself, say, oh, I said this, or I did this wrong, or I shouldn't have, and does that mean I should stop? No, it just means I'm learning. I continue to learn, continue to grow. Difficulty is not a restriction. Finally, okay, we're being prepared. We go and live this out. We need to pray. We need to pray for those living and serving in difficult places. We've uh, got pictures of our overseas workers, or three of them, one on the way soon. And you know what? Culture and language are so difficult. Casey shared a funny little story. I'm sure they have other stories where they ache to understand Scott and Casey of what's going on in Thailand and how they can minister in places of great spiritual darkness. You know how we can help them? We can pray for them and encourage them. And in a minute, I'm going to ask you to do something really awkward and cumbersome. It's going to be take a card of encouragement and take it and put it in a bucket of one of these overseas workers. In front of you in the pew should be white cards. Uh, on that white card, I want you to write, hey, Scott and Casey prayed for you this morning. Or Scott and Casey, I'm praying for you in your language acquisition. Or Scott and Casey, thank you for pressing on in so many ways. So I'm going to give you an update on each of these families, and then um, I'm going to close in prayer, and then I want you to take your little card of encouragement, or whatever, tell them what you're praying for, or just say, thank you for pressing on through the difficulties, and then I'll be asking you to do that awkward thing of standing up and going and placing that in the, the bucket after I close in prayer. But first, over here on the left, we have Dane and Marty, and we celebrated their commissioning a couple weeks ago, and you're going to say, Kevin, their names aren't Dane and Marty, and I'm going to say, I know. They're going to a culture, a, a government that isn't excited about Christians going in there. So we're walking through a secure process. But Dane and Marty, a month or so ago, 
stepped out of their home, packed everything up. They're, they have two little kids. They're living in this awkward transition time, ready to, ready to head out to the Himalayas. So write them a note of encouragement. Say, hey, I just prayed for you, that God would sustain you during this difficult time. By the way, I said pull out one paper. You can put one in each of the buckets if you want. But that's a way you can encourage them. And by the way, why haven't they gone yet? They're still waiting for financial commitments from others. If you can give $20 a month, $50 a month, there are little cards right next to their bucket that tell you how to connect, how to support them financially. That's just what they're waiting for. They're right about 90% of their needs, so I'd love to push them over the edge there and have them head out and face other difficulties as they share the gospel there in the Himalayas. So that's Dane and Marty. So... In a minute, you can go drop a note of encouragement to them. In the back, we have Scott and Casey uh, walking through language. They have had more transitions in leadership within their organization than anybody I've ever heard of. They've been there almost four years. By the way, when you drop the note in there, my wife and I will take those tomorrow together with Eric Coggins, and we're getting on a plane tomorrow night to go to Thailand, and we'll end up visiting Scott and Casey. So your note will be delivered soon. But just say something of encouragement. We have a, had a commissioning service for them uh, when they went about four years ago. Wonderful couple. Over here, we have Lydia. Lydia was raised here at Olive Branch. And for you who have been here a while, you're going to say, Kevin, that's not Lydia. Again, she's in a country where the government doesn't like Christian workers coming in. It's a Muslim area, and she's reaching Muslims that are moving out from a dense population and from their families into this other area. When people move away from home and family structures, they're generally a little more open to the gospel. So write a note of encouragement to Lydia. Tell her you're praying for her, for boldness, for wisdom, for looking for common ground on how to connect with others. And finally, in the back corner, probably the least known couple is Carrie and Shar. They are members here at Olive Branch. They've been here for several years. Wonderful couple, been in ministry for years, and he has a PhD. He has studied and researched how do you help a church to start in a new culture where there hasn't been one. What's the role of the, the outsider, the global worker coming in? How do they raise up indigenous or local leaders? How do, how do the global workers end up stepping out of a job? This takes planning. Carrie and Shar were with Lydia in September, October, November. They've been in Turkey and most recently in Spain. Uh, again, probably the least known couple, but just write a note of encouragement. Just say, thank you for pressing on. Thank you. When you have grandkids in this area, you still spend seven to eight months overseas traveling so that the gospel is taken to where it needs to be known. So go ahead, write your notes of encouragement, and let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Father, May it never get old as we look at this passage of Paul pressing forward in ministry and just talking through the promises that you made, that your faithfulness in so many ways. God, help us as we step forward into this role because of your faithfulness to minister to others. 
God, we are bombarded with voices that tell us not to, to think about our own, or not to think about others, but think of us first and take care of ourselves and be safe and comfortable. God, may your word rip us out of that. God, it wasn't easy for your son. Jesus faced difficulties. It wasn't easy for Paul. Why should we expect any difference? But God, may that not slow us down. God, we need your support, your encouragement. We press forward and help a hurting world. Thank you, Father, for loving us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.